Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. and join in worship. It's so wonderful to be able to worship God through the lifting of our voices, and now we want to worship him as we get into and listen to his word here today. We are in a new series of messages that we started actually two weeks ago. Last week, we uh, had a Mother's Day message, but two weeks ago, we started a series called Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly World. It is based upon a person who is probably very little known by most people in this place. It's a guy by the name of King Asa. It is in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 17, and it's a picture of living godly in a, an ungodly world, an ungodly society that is happening all around you. Now, all of this is based upon 2 Peter chapter 3, and that's something I have told you about. 2 Peter chapter 3 was a dream that I had had. I had these verses, and I saw these verses in a, uh, in a dream. And the verses say these things. Uh, it says, But on the day the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything done on it shall be exposed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? And the answer to that is this. Live lives of holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We come come to God in whatever state we are. We come to him in our sinfulness, in our unrighteousness, in our filthiness. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us forgiveness. And then we are no longer to live life the same way that we have always lived. We are to start living life in holiness and godliness. And so what does that look like? What is the picture of that going to be? Well, we get that idea from this king in the Old Testament. And that's what we are focused in on for these six weeks, for the six-week series. Now, today's title of the message is this. It is Face Your God Before You Face Your Enemy. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we come here today to worship and to glorify and to honor you, for you are worthy of our praise. You are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, and we come to humbly bow down before you. I pray, Father, that you would have been pleased with our time of worship as we, as we lift your name, as we sing praises to you. May that be like incense rising from the altar that you are pleased with. And now, Lord, as we open your word and study your word, may they not be my words, but your words to us, that we may understand how we can relate to you on a real powerful level. Lord, show us what it means to face you before we face our enemies. Help us, Lord, in the battles of life that we go through. Be with us and encourage us. Encourage us. There are some in this room today, Lord, or some that are watching that are going through a tremendous battle. 
they were hit unexpectedly with something, whether it is a medical issue that they're dealing with, a personal issue, a financial issue, a job issue, a family issue, a marital issue, Lord. They were hit with this. They're going through a battle, and they need your encouragement today. Father, we give this time to you. We want to hear from you. Be with us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you a quick recap of what we had talked about last time, which would have been two weeks ago in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And we started looking at a guy whose name was King Asa. Now, King Asa, it kind of looks like Asa, but it is actually, in fact, uh, it is Asa. It is and this king was a, he was the great, great grandson of King David. Just to give you a quick reminder of, of who he was and kind of that family tree and that lineage, there would have been David. David was the ultimate king of Israel. He was a king who was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he had done what was wrong. He had done what was wicked, but he was a man after God's heart. God had favor for David, and David led the nation in a right way. David had a whole heart for God. He was followed by his son Solomon. Solomon's heart started well, but it did not finish well. Solomon was a man who was being corrupted by all of the people that he was bringing around him. He was letting a lot of idolatry. He was letting a lot of false beliefs come into the kingdom. After Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. There was the northern kingdom kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In the southern kingdom of Judah, the next king in line that would have been the son of Solomon, the grandson of David, was a guy by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was wicked. Rehoboam was evil. Rehoboam did what was wrong in the sight of God. He let a lot of false beliefs creep in, a lot of pagan worship creep in. He was anything but a follower of God. Rehoboam's son, Abijah, was next. He didn't last long, but he also followed in the footsteps of his father, doing what was wicked and evil in the nation of Judah. Then you had his son coming on the scene, who again would have been the great-great-grandson of David, King Asa. Now, King Asa was different because he did not have to let his family dynamics affect his future. In fact, none of us have to let our family dynamics affect our future. You are the person who came out of your family, but you don't have to be the product of your family. You can break the cycle by being different, by simply being exactly who God wants you to be. King also would be different. In fact, here's what we read last time about him. It says that Asa was different because Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of Adonai, his God. He committed to being different. I will not let my family's dysfunction and my family's mess, I will not let my family's false belief system affect me. I will do what is good and right in the eyes of my God. And because he did that, he received the favor of God. What are some of the things that he did? Well, he removed the foreign altars. He removed the high places, all of the pagan worship. He smashed all of the pillars. He cut down the Asherah poles that, again, would have been used in false worship. He commanded his kingdom, the people of his kingdom, Judah, to seek God. Seek Adonai. 
don't follow after the false beliefs. You seek after God, Adonai, the God of their fathers, and you obey the Torah, that is the law of God, and you obey the mitzvah, the commandment of God. When he did that, God blessed that. It says of him that he also... Paul, I'm not able to advance these, so you're going to have to advance them. He says that he also removed the high places and the incense stands. Go back a couple of slides. All right. He removed the high places, the incense stands out of all of the cities of Judah. So the kingdom remained untroubled under him. He built up fortified cities in Judah, for the land was untroubled. And he was not engaged in warfare during those years because Adonai had given him rest. I want you to notice that last line. Because he followed God, because he turned to God, because he commanded his kingdom to turn to God, because he turned away and cut down all of the false belief systems, because of that, because he did what was right in the eyes of God, God blessed him. And God gave him rest. And the period of rest for him was going to be a period of 10 years. A time of rest. The time of rest would be a time of blessing. It would be a time of ease. It would be a time to be refreshed and prepared. It was going to be a time to learn and to grow. A time to build up. And a time to have a reserve. It was the time that reminded me of what, it, what took place in the book of Genesis with a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, God used him in an incredibly sovereign way to go to the nation of Egypt. There in Egypt, he rose to a position of power. The pharaoh of Egypt had seen a dream and had a dream of seven skinny cows and seven fat cows. And Joseph interpreted the dream. The dream was this, that you will have seven good years followed by seven very lean and very hard years. During the seven good years you prepare and build up a reserve, it's going to be a time of rest. And that's going to be followed by some tough times ahead. Asa had a time of rest. The nation was at rest. Everybody, everything was at peace. Everything was going good. Everything was, was peaceful. We have times in our lives like that good times. Maybe it's a decade of your life that you look at and say, this was a pretty easy decade. It was a time of rest. During the time of rest, I felt encouraged. I felt refreshed. I was able to prepare. Maybe it was a blessing in your life that you had a time of 10 years of good income. Maybe it was 10 years of a great job. Maybe it was 10 years of no health concerns whatsoever. It was just a good decade, a decade of rest. Don't squander the times of rest that you have in your life because the time of rest and the time of peace does not last forever. It never does. Jesus promised to us that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have hard times, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It's kind of like military units that are on the front line. They get pulled off of the front line for a time of R&R. They can rest. They can recuperate. They can refresh. They can recharge their batteries. They are at rest because they need that time to prepare themselves to go back into the fray. 
The times of rest and the times of peace are good. They are God's blessing, but they do not last forever. They will sometime come to an end. Crises will come, tribulations will happen, trials will hit us, and they were going to hit King Asa in a way that he hopefully was preparing himself for, but they came to him out of nowhere. Let's look at exactly what happened to King Asa in his life. Here's what it says. Now Asa, after the time of 10 years of rest, the 10 years of peace, the 10 years of, uh, of relaxation to a sense, the time of God's blessing, all of a sudden it says that Asa had an army of 300,000 men. They were from Judah and they bore shields and spears. And there were 280,000 from the tribe of Benjamin who bore shields and drew bows. All of these were valiant warriors. That was 580,000 troops that Asa had at his disposal. Now, why did that come up next in the story? 10 years of rest, all of a sudden, something is looming on the horizon. Well, here's what was looming on the horizon. Yes, he had 580,000 troops, but look what was going to happen to him. Then Zerah the Cushite marched against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. Now, a chariot in those days are not like what we see in the movies today of a Roman person riding around in a two-wheeled cart. A chariot in that time would have been more like a shock troop kind of system. It would have been a larger wagon, most often a very well-fortified wagon that they would bring in and plow through people. They would have large blades coming out from the side. They would just cut people in half as they ran through them with a horse-drawn chariot. Or they would have had long poles, long spears that they could, have, they could have killed people from a distance out of those things. There would have been troops in this. They would have done incredible damage. All of a sudden, Asa's time of peace was coming to an end. Ten years of trouble-free life followed by a battle that was looming on the horizon. When he arrived at Marasha, Asa went out to meet him, and they arrayed for battle in the valley of Zephath at Marasha. They were ready for battle. The battle was coming from them. Let me show you a picture of where this would have happened. Now, the Cushites are from the area that is common, that is modern day Ethiopia. It is from the African area. They would have marched up against Israel. Now, just to get you a little bit of a picture of this, they would have come into a small community, a small valley in southern Judah, where Asa's troops would have marched out to meet this incoming battle. What that looks like in modern day map is this, and this is also a picture of the end times. Cush and Put are two of the nations that will come against Israel in the end. What is Cush? Well, that is the modern day areas of Sudan, the modern day areas of, of Ethiopia, of Somalia. 
put, you have uh, the areas of northern Africa, of Libya, that is going to come against Israel. Then you have Persia, which is modern-day Iran. You have Meshach, which is Tubal, Gomer, Beth Togmara, which is modern-day Turkey. And then you have Magog, which is the Stan countries. Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan will be a part of that. Those are the areas they've always fought against Israel, and they will continue to fight against them in the future. That gives you the picture. But it's coming from Cush. This battle was going to rage where you have this million-man army with 300 chariots coming up against 580,000 of the Israeli troops. After 10 years of peace, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the battle occurred. Life is like that. You have times of peace. It could be a, a day. It could be a week. It could be a year. It could be five years. It could be a decade. It could be most of your life you had times of peace. It was relatively easy. Then all of a sudden, you woke up. You felt a lump, and the doctor told you you had cancer. All of a sudden, the time of peace is gone, and it came out of nowhere. You could wake up and the marriage could be in crisis and it just hit you out of nowhere. You could wake up and your job could be lost. The economy could flip upside down. Your finances could be put out of order. You could have an expense that wipes you out. Out of nowhere, a battle occurs. That's what happened to King Asa and the nation of Judah. Ten years of peace, and then all of a sudden, a million-man army has marched into our country and in a valley in our country, and now we have to go out and face it head on. What are we going to do? It brings us to this question. What do I do now? How do I prepare for a battle that seems and feels impossible? Have you ever had those kind of battles in your life? It seems and feels impossible. How am I going to face this? How can I possibly go through this? I am outnumbered two to one. Maybe it's not an army that you're facing, but it's something that feels like that, and you're outnumbered two to one, and you think, how in the world am I going to do this? This is impossible. The odds are impossible. It's an overwhelming amount of odds. I am being thrust into a battle that I did not want, that I did not ask for. I didn't attack somebody. They attacked me. I didn't want this to happen. How do I do this? No warning is given. According to what we see in Second Chronicles, it was just thrust upon them. And now we've got to respond in the only way that we know how. There's no panic from Asa. Instead, it's something very different. What he shows us is that there are three things that a humble servant of God does as they are facing a battle that is looming before them. And I want to show you in one verse three things that he does that demonstrates how you handle battles that come your way. And I would encourage you to make note of these. Write these things down because you and I are going to face battles And we need to approach those battles in the same way that this king would approach the million-man army that is marching into their country. 
Well, the first truth I want you to understand is this. First thing to do is to express your incompetence. Now, I know that that sounds really weird. Express your incompetence. What in the world could that possibly mean? How in the world is this going to help me to express my incompetence? Brokenness, dependency, and humility is the only way to effectively fight the battle. God wants to help you but he wants you to approach him in brokenness, humility, and dependence. We have all heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. In fact, maybe that has become the motto for some of you, God helps those who help themselves. Therefore, I don't need God, I need to help myself. And then maybe God will come come along for the ride. But the truth is that that could not be further from biblical teaching. The truth is this, God helps those who can't help themselves and recognize that they can't help themselves. When you come to God in brokenness, in dependence, and in humility, God answers in a powerful way. I want you to see what King Asa did. I want to read this entire verse, and then I want to point out one phrase out of this verse. In fact, this verse is going to encompass three of the things that we're going to look at, but I want to show you one of these. Then Asa... As the million-man army has come into his country, and he is facing the battle, then King Asa cried to Adonai his God, and he said, Adonai, there is no one like you to help in battle between the mighty and the powerless. I want you to notice the word powerless. Who's he referring to? He's referring to himself. He's referring to his nation. He's referring to his 580,000-men army. We are powerless, and we are facing a mighty foe. God, we need you to help us in this battle, because the thing that we are facing is mighty, and I know I am powerless. See, that's the same thing that happens in our lives. God, this is bigger than me. I can't handle this. This is is powerful. It is mighty, and I am powerless. You get diagnosed with cancer, that's exactly how you're going to feel. This is powerful, and I am powerless, and God, I need you. You are the mighty God who can fight this battle and help us. We need you, God, help us in this battle between the mighty and the powerless. I am powerless. I need you, God. That is dependence. That is brokenness. That is humility. When you are facing a battle, you come to God recognizing your dependence upon him, recognizing your powerlessness, that he is the only one that can possibly help you in this situation. You may have a marriage right now that feels mighty. The problems that you are facing feel overwhelming, and you come to God because he is the only one that can fix it, and you say, God, I am powerless. I need you to fight this battle for me. Maybe it's kids that you're dealing with, parenting issues, or, or wayward kids that you're dealing with, grown adult kids. Maybe it's, a, like I said, a medical diagnosis, a financial issue. Maybe it is a job struggle. God, I am powerless. I need you. Do you know that the Apostle Paul emphasized the same thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Look at what Paul said. He said, for, I, he said, for if I should want to boast... I would not be foolish, 
Why would Paul want to boast? Well, Paul was the leader, really, in a lot of these churches that were being planted as the gospel was spreading over the region. Paul had incredible insight. He had incredible vision. He had incredible uh, connection to God Almighty. If anybody had reason to boast, Paul would have reason to boast, but Paul would not boast. Here's what Paul says. If I, would, if I should want to boast, I would not be foolish, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, I'm not going to boast, so that no one may think more of me than what he sees in me or hears from me. Don't put me on a pedestal, Paul is saying. Look at God, not me. Even in the extraordinary quality of the revelations. I, yes, I receive extraordinary revelation from God, but it's not about me, it's about God. So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What was this thorn in the flesh? Well, it was a person. You got any people like that in your life that is the thorn in your flesh? This thorn in my flesh was given to me. This person was a messenger of Satan. He was there to torment me so I would not exalt myself. I pleaded with the Lord three times about this that it might leave me. Please take this away. But God said to me, Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. For Messiah's sake, then, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. How, how is Paul handling this the same way that Asa did? He's saying, look, I am powerless. I am I'm weak. I need God. Desperately, I need God. I am dependent upon him for everything. In this battle that I am facing, I need him. And when I am weak and I come to him in humility, he comes in strength and fights the battle on my behalf. When we fight a battle, we come to God in dependency, in desperation, in powerlessness. Do you know that Jesus demonstrates this exactly in Matthew 18? Matthew 18, it's a, really a, an incredible story. In Matthew 18, Jesus is with his disciples, and as he is with his disciples, he is talking to a crowd. And the disciples asked a question of him, and they said to him, who, Jesus, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what is behind that? Well, behind that is this idea, who's the greatest? Is it me? <laughs> I want to be the greatest, because I pretty much think I'm the greatest. I'm pretty awesome. You know, I, I don't know if any of you have that kind of attitude or thought, but I tell my wife all the time how awesome I am, how lucky she is to be married to me. Who is the greatest, Jesus? I know it's me. It's got to be me. I know how wonderful I am. Look at how, how incredible I am, how many talents I have, how many things I can do. And Jesus called to himself a child, and he set the child in the midst of them. Now, the child was probably about the toddler age. Could be anywhere from, from maybe two to five, kind of that age range. He called a child two to five. And he said to them, Amen, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever then shall humble himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What about a child makes them so incredible that Jesus would use this as the model of how you get into heaven? Well, people often think, well, you know, children are trusting Obviously, that child is just trusting. And that means if you're trusting, that will make way for you to be in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Others say, well, he's innocent. This child is innocent. If you've ever had a two to five year old, you know that that's not true, in the least. They are not innocent. In fact, they, you, you're laughing because you know it to be true. They're not innocent. Okay? Well, they, uh, maybe they're honest. No, they're not. They're not honest either. What is it about a child that makes the child the model that Jesus uses for who will get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, there's one characteristic that sets them apart from every other characteristic, and that is dependency. You know what happens? A two to five-year-old child is completely dependent on their parents for everything in life. If you took a child that age and you dropped them off in the wilderness, in the Bighorn Mountains, away from all of society, that child would die. They would not survive. Because a child above all else is completely dependent. You know what Jesus is saying is, unless you become dependent upon me the same way that this child is dependent, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. When Asa faced a million-man army, he turned to God in desperation and dependence and said, God, I need you. I can't do this. I need your help. I need you to be with me. I am powerless. I can't handle this. God, I need you. You know, I have lived all of my life trying to be independent. Have you? I don't want to be dependent upon anybody. I don't want to need anybody. People will come, do you need any help? I don't need help because I can do it myself. I learned that, by the way, from my children when they were little because I would try to help them tie their shoes or I would try to help them put their coats on and they would say, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. See, that's the way adults become. We grow in life trying to be independent. I don't want to ever need anybody. But God flips that on its head and says, unless you're dependent, you won't even see me. King Asa comes to him, independence. It's the same thing that John 15 says, that Jesus says, when Jesus says, look, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's dependence. Many of us live the other way around. God, I am the vine. You are the branch. You're an appendage to my life. You just come along and you do whatever I tell you, but that's not the way it works. God, you're the vine. You are the source, and I am dependent upon you for everything in life. If I get cut off from the source, as a branch does from a vine, I will die. First thing that King Asa did was he turned to God and he expressed his incompetence. God, I desperately need you. This is a mess. We need you, God. We are completely dependent upon you, completely humbled before you, God. Please help us. Second thing that King Asa did that I want you to notice, in the same verse, he also encouraged us to express your confidence. 
Express your incompetence, but then express your confidence. You are powerless, but there's a truth in this. And here's the truth. Again, 2 Chronicles 14.10, Then Asa cried to God, to Adonai his God, and said, Adonai, there is no one like you to help in battle between the mighty and the powerless. Help us, Adonai Elihenu, for we rely on you and in your name. Notice those two ideas. We rely upon you and we rely upon your name. The word rely in the Hebrew language is the word sha'an. And the word sha'an is the word that means to lean on, to trust in, to be supported by, to rest in. God, we are powerless, but we are going to lean on you. We are going to lean into you. We are going to rely on you. We are going to rest in you, God. It's all about you. It's not about us. It's about you. God, this battle that I am facing, you are in control. I can't handle it. I'm not designed to handle it. It is too big for me. So God, I am powerless and I am relying upon you to do what you do, God. See, that's how we face the battles. We face the battles by recognizing our deep need for God and then recognizing that it is all about God. In this battle, God, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to rely on you. And I know, God, you're going to come through. I am confident that you are because that's who you are. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, <clears throat> David faced a similar kind of situation. David, who was not yet king, was fighting in battle and he had a lot of troops with him. They were going to leave the battlefield of where they were fighting and one of the enemy... A group of the enemy went to the town that many of the troops of David were from. In this town where David and his troops, many of the troops were from, in the town, this enemy came in and plundered it. They killed people. They took the wealth. They took the possessions. They raped and murdered several of the women, and they took children off and, other, and women off into captivity. Well, the troops were livid. And who were they livid at? David. Why would they be livid at David and not the enemy? Because they needed a scapegoat and they needed somebody to put the blame on. It says in that account, David was in a serious bind for the troops were calling for his stoning. For all the troops were grieving. They were bitter of soul. But David strengthened himself in Adonai his God. He did exactly what Asa did. I will strengthen myself in God. I will have confidence in God. I will rely upon him and lean into him and trust in him in the middle of this battle that is too big to handle. In Jeremiah chapter 9, God speaks to Jeremiah and says this, Let not the wise boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty boast in his might, nor the rich glory in his riches, but let one who boasts, boast in this. If you want to be confident in something, be confident in this, that God understands and knows me. God is with me. God will help me. I put my trust in him. I rely upon him. Finally, Psalm 18 and Psalm 20, it says this. The Lord is my rock. He is my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Some 
will trust in chariots, some in horses, not us. We are going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Whatever your battle is, you first admit your powerlessness, admit your dependence. And number two, you lean on, rely on, trust in, rest in God. Number three, express your commitment. So express your incompetence, express your confidence, express your commitment. People make commitments in crisis situations. You ever known people like that? Maybe you have been like that. Haven't been walking with God, haven't been trusting God, but all of a sudden the battle is here and so now I better turn my life to him and you make some kind of commitment. I will never miss church again, God, if you get me out of this. I will give all that I have if you get me out of this. It never tends to follow through, but that's usually the case. You express an incredible commitment. Commitment should happen before the battle. Commitment happened on King Oss's part way before the army was in our country. The commitment happened many years earlier when he did what was right and good in the sight of the Lord. If you want to be committed, be committed now before the battle even comes into the land. Here's what King Asa said. It says, Then Asa cried to Adonai his God and said, Adonai, there's no one like you to help us in this battle between the mighty and us the powerless. Please help us, Adonai Elihenu, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. You are Adonai Elihenu. Other versions say you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. In other words, we are completely committed to you. Whatever your plan is, however you're going to work all of this out, however you're going to fix this, God, we are yours. We are committed to you. Even if it gets worse, I am still committed to you. Even if I don't understand the direction we're going, even if I lose the physical battle, I'm still committed to you because I know eternity is right around the corner. I am committed 100% to you, God. No turning back, no other way, no other plan. It's all about you. In the book of Judges, there was a continual cycle. And the cycle was always this. The people of God would have a time of rest. In that time of rest, they just turned away from God. And they got filled with idolatry and adultery toward God. God would send them some kind of, uh, of consequence and that would cause them to then repent and turn back to him. Then they would have a time of rest. But in that time of rest, they would again turn away from God and they would begin doing things that were wicked and evil in his sight. And then he would send a consequence. It would crush them. It, they would repent. They would turn back. And over and over they did this. The cycle was reversed in Asa. We are committed to you first so that we can be prepared for the times ahead. Psalm 37 says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Proverbs 16 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Psalm 55 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus, Peter, and Paul all say very similar thoughts in the New Testament. Jesus says, so I say to you, do not worry about your life. Peter says, cast all your worries on him because he cares for you. 
Paul writes in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's how Asa approached the battle. First, he expressed his incompetence. God, I need you. We are dependent upon you. I can't handle this. I desperately need you. Then he expressed his, uh, what was the, I forgot the second one now. Oh, he expressed your confidence. What is your, the confidence? God, I have confidence in you. I will lean into you, rely upon you, trust in you. And then, and then he finally came to the point where he expressed his commitment before God. So, how did the story turn out? Well, let's look at the end of the story. Let's look at the conclusion. And here was the conclusion. It says, So Adonai struck down the Cushites. Remember, we are outnumbered here two to one, 300 chariots. Adonai struck down the Cushites before Asa and before the nation of Judah. The Cushites fled. And Asa... And the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. They fled, and the Israelites did not say, okay, well, we'll just give up and we'll just let you run. No, we're going to make you pay. We are going to make you suffer. You attack us, we are going to come after you. It's kind of similar to what's going on right now. You attack us, we're not going to have a truce. We're going to come after you. They came after them. They pursued them. Many of the Cushites fell, so many so that they could not recover because they were shattered before Adonai and before his army. They carried away very much loot and spoil. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar for the terror from Adonai came on them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much spoil in them. They also attacked the tents of herdsmen, and they carried off many sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. When they turned to God in the battle that was looming, God came through in a miraculous way. Days like the, one, the ones that Asa faced come unexpectedly. There's no time frame. There's no provocation that is mentioned. There's no instructions. There's no specific preparations that are given. All of a sudden, this day of calamity was on them, and they turned to God, and God fought the battle for them. The day came, and with it came the problem. You've had days like that, and you will have days like that, where all of a sudden, the problem will be before you. You didn't expect it. There was no provocation, provocation, there was no instructions, there was no preparations that you had. All of a sudden, it just hit you. Out of nowhere, a battle was in, in, your, in the land, and you had to face it, because with the battle came the problem. You've had days like that, you will have more days like that. Don't wait until the enemy is upon you to express your dependence on and your trust in God. You don't know what today will bring. You don't know how quickly things will happen. You don't know uh, how long the prolonged peace will be in your life until the day that the battle comes. However, if you face your God before you face your enemy, then all you will see of your adversary is their backside 
as they run away in defeat. God is the God who fights the battle for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would go to battle on our behalf. There are some in this room today that are experiencing a battle that was unexpected. They were not prepared for it. They were not aware of it. They did not know this was going to happen. And yet it just hit them. The enemy was in, in, in the country. Father, I pray for those that that is the case today. That they got hit with a diagnosis, they got hit with a problem, they got hit with a, a, maybe it's a problem at work or a family problem. It did not, they did not expect it, it just hit. I pray, Father, that they would turn to you in complete and utter dependence. God, we can't do this, we need you. I pray, Father, that they would express their confidence. God, we are going to rely upon you and trust in you in the middle of all of this. And Lord, that they would stay committed to you, not only when the battle comes, but well before. And that in the midst of the battle, they would stay committed to your plan. You are the God who fights for us, though we don't always understand what is going on. You are the God who goes to battle on our behalf, though we don't really see what's happening behind the scenes. Help us, Lord, to confidently and expectantly look toward you. We thank you for meeting with us, and we thank you for the example that King Asa gives us to look to, to live a godly life in an ungodly world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.